listening to our New Chapel podcast. We're for people to connect with God and be raised to new life in Christ. Be sure to connect with us at newchapel.com and on social media to stay up to date on everything happening here at New Chapel. Y'all ready for part two of Church in the Wild? Are you excited? That was very, very weak, I will tell you. First service did be- Are you excited? Yes. Yeah? Uh, this is part two of Church in the Wild, and if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to the book of Judges, chapter four. Boy, we don't read out of the book of Judges as much as we should, but uh, this series is talking about the wild world that we live in, how things have changed, that there's variables that we didn't have to deal with when we were younger that our kids do, and that, that there's things that are happening at the top of leadership, and, and really it's, it's going through all kinds of different uh, sectors, different spheres of influence, and, and we're seeing this fundamental change, and a lot of it's ungodly. Like, I'm happy for some of the technological advances, the iPhone, things like that. Some of that has been very good, and some of it has come with an incredible liability. And so this world, in the last 18 months, has had the most profound cultural shift that it's ever had to suffer, I would say, in America, our entire history, but in the world, it certainly would be noted as one of the greatest shifts. And so we're looking at this wild world, and we, we really made the point last week that we need a wild church for a wild world, a church that's not afraid of hard things or, or, or sinful things. And this person's a sinner. Why, why are we avoiding them and running around? No, we need to engage with them. Not, we're not afraid of the world, right? We need to love on people that are far from God. And, and so we said we needed to be a wild church for this wild culture. And, and being that church means a lot. I would encourage you to check out last week's message on Facebook, our live stream is up there. Uh, I heard from a lot of people, it was an encouragement. Helps wash the summer off you and really get you focused on what God has. But today, uh, I want to start reading out of the book of Judges, chapter 4. Let me give you some background on this. Uh, in the book of Judges, the children of Israel are trusting God and they want to be faithful to Him. But every time that they start serving God, God blesses them. And when God blesses them, there becomes an abundance, and and the children of Israel begin to become a little lazy. Their standards get lazy. They end up doing ungodly things. Those ungodly things are like blood to a shark. It draws in the attack of the enemy. So they had to come up against the Philistines and the Canaanites, and ultimately they experience pain. Well, God isn't bringing that pain into their life, but at the same time, uh, my grandpa who fought in World War II, he said, There are no such things as an atheist in a foxhole. Pain will make you very acutely aware that there is an eternity and that there is a God. And so they would experience pain. They would cry out to God. God is merciful. He would forgive them and take them back. They would start to serve him. God would bless them. They'd get lazy. And in Judges and a lot of the Old Testament, it is cyclical. It goes over and over and over and over and over again. And what God would do to try to bring the message to them is he would bring a judge. Now, when we think of judge, I think of just one of the most honorable people. Uh, well, well, maybe two. It's either Antonin Scalia or Judge Judy. You know, I mean, just A or B, <laughs> great people. Don't pee on my leg and tell me it's raining. Still available on Amazon. It's a bestseller, everybody. I mean, two million people can't be wrong. Too much? Okay. Uh, anyway, we think of black robes and gavels, don't we? The Hebrew word for judge there isn't black robes and gavel judge. It means deliverer. 
it means a person that's called to come in here with some wisdom and tell you, this is what God's telling you to do. We need to get this done. This is before the time of the kings. And God raises up Deborah, and Deborah, she's a bad-to-the-bone lady. She's got a word for these guys, and it's of encouragement. Judges 4, I'm going to start reading at verse 14. Then Deborah said to Barak, get ready. This is the day the Lord will give you victory over Sisera. Sisera was the general of uh, the armies of the Canaanites. For the Lord is marching ahead of you. Remember that. So Barak led his 10,000 warriors down the slopes of Mount Tabor into battle. I'm sharing with you this passage as really the meat and potatoes, the concept level of, of what I want to show you today. And that is this. My belief is that now is the time. It's the time for victory. It's the time to see God's prayers that we've been lifting up to him. God's, God's answering those prayers that we've had. And I don't know what you've been praying about. Maybe it's for your marriage. Maybe it's for your job, career. Maybe it's, it's something in your body or in physical health or your finances. Maybe it's something on your spiritual journey. Whatever it is, now is the time. It's, it's time. It's time for activity. It's time to take it from being a pipe dream and get our feet on the ground, put legs to our prayers, and watch God work the miracle as we walk it out with him. Can I hear an amen? amen. Look at your neighbor and say, now's the time. Now's the time. Look at your second pick over there. Say, now's the time. Okay. I want you to understand that wherever you're going, and maybe you're puzzled about it, maybe it's a big obstacle that's in front of you, remember the Lord is marching before you. The Bible says that he is the Alpha and the Omega. That's, that's Christianese Bible talk. Let me break it down. He's the beginning and he's the end. In other words, the problem, the obstacle that's in your future, he's already there. He's already in the next step. You don't have to be afraid of following him. That's where he resides. And he's just as peaceful in the future as he is in the past as he is being ever present in your time of need. Somebody say amen. And so my belief is that now is the time. We, we need to rise up. We need to say, God, I know that you have victory for me. But listen, the preparation for the victory is something that we have to do. We have to get prepared for the spiritual victory, for the natural victory that he has for us. Now, there is the concept. That's Old Testament Quickly, turn with me to the book of Acts. I want to show you this in the New Testament, and we're going to camp out in the book of Acts, chapter 20, for really the rest of our time together. The Apostle Paul, formerly Saul, he was a Hebrew of Hebrews, a rabbi of the highest rabbinical order called the Pharisees. And he even called himself a Pharisee of Pharisees. Well-educated man, brilliant man, but he was killing Christians. There was a sect cult group arising out of Judaism called The Way, later called Christianity. And Paul was finding Christians and killing them at alarming rates when God, in a dramatic series of events, knocks him on his blessed assurance on the Damascus Road and says, Saul, Saul, isn't it hard for you to fight against your conscience? Saul eventually ends up becoming born again. God changes his name to Paul. He goes out to the backwoods and becomes a tent maker for a long time, giving up his religious service and just pursuing God. Well, eventually he gets turned on to ministry, receives a call, and writes two-thirds of your New Testament. He's an incredible, incredible figure in the scriptures. He's planting churches all over. And when we pick up this narrative in uh, Acts chapter 20, you find the Apostle Paul, and he's going all the way to Jerusalem. He feels called to go there, but he's purposefully sailing past Ephesus. 
Now, what you might not know is that he planted a church in Ephesus. This is where we get the book of Ephesians from, the Ephesian people, right? So he planted a church there, but he's kind of avoiding them. We all have that person that when we see them at Meyer, we love them. God bless their darling hearts. But I can't spend the rest of my day talking to them, right? And so you see them and you love them in the Lord. You say a little quick one, but you got to go. We got to run from this because this is the rest of my day and I got, I got things to do. And so we love them, right? So Paul loves the Ephesian church, but he's sailing right past them. And in his like, love for them, he still calls for the church leaders, because it's in this time that Paul has this premonition, this, this vision from the Holy Spirit that he will never return to the church he planted ever again. In fact, he says it in un, uh, no uncertain terms in verse 25 of this chapter. He says, I'll never see you face to face in this life again. So I want to pick up with Acts 20 and verse 22. This is what the Apostle Paul is saying. And now, these are last words, big deal. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. Verse 24. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. What's happening here? Paul is sharing last words with church leaders. Communication is completely different. You're not going to take a small rectangular device and FaceTime them in antiquity. He's loved these men. He's poured into them anything they are in ministries because of the investment he made. And he's saying, I'm not going to see you, and I don't know if I'm going to make it. And where I'm going is unsure, but listen, I'm trying to convey to you, i got to go to Jerusalem. He's conveying the, the desperation. He's trying to say that this is what life is all about. And if you're going to be a leader, if you're going to be a Christian, a real deal Christian, this is the heart that you need to have. Where it's like, God, I'm in. I, I got this thing from you, and i, I got to do it. You know what I'm talking about, everybody? Now, there's so much in this passage that we could mine out. God has given us the victory. We read that in Judges, but... What does this have anything to do with it? So many things. What does he say in verse 22? He says, and now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem. He was compelled. The Greek word compelled in this passage, uh, you could translate it to be wrapped up, to be captured by. I'm enraptured, right, by this calling. It's the word picture in the Greek of somebody being in shackles and in chains, and you're like held to it. You say, Pastor Joe, that's my marriage. Be quiet, okay? But, 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 but you are chained to this thing. You ain't going anywhere. I've got to. You know what I'm saying? I'm not going anywhere. I'm connected, and it's permanent. He's trying to say, guys, this purpose that I have, the purpose that you have, are you captivated by it? Are you captivated by the comforts of this world? Are, are, do you dream about it? Do you think about this thing? How we could build something great together? How, how your life could count for something bigger than just what you could do alone? He's trying to convey purpose and meaning. And I think that we as born-again believers, as evangelical Christians, we need to have that in our hearts. So write this down. Here's what I'm trying to say. We need to set our focus. Write that down. Set your focus. 
I see a lot of people, and they get excited about the things of God, and they get excited about what God is doing at their church. And for a little while, it's off to the races, but they didn't sign up for a commitment. They, they didn't sign up for the small group. They didn't sign up to be on a team. And, and so what happens is because there isn't focus in what they're doing, there's a drift that happens. There's this wandering that happens. You're not chained to this thing and raptured by it. You end up straying. And so many Christians, we don't live intentionally. And I, I just wonder what would happen if we would. Paul says, I'm compelled to do this. There's a place, a people, a purpose in my heart. I gotta, and nothing can deter me from it. Nothing's gonna take me off. If you read any of Napoleon Hill's books, he would call this absolute purpose. I gotta do it, and nothing will take me off course, I must complete what God has called me to do. And here's the question, what drives you? You know, one great question with, with trying to figure out purpose and trying to figure out, you know, God, what have you called me to do? You know, I've got this career, maybe it's outside of my career, and, you know, I'm, I, I can passionately do this thing in order to get home and, and be able to work on a nonprofit or invest in my kids or whatever it is, you know. What drives you? One huge indicator is what upsets you. Do you watch the news and when you watch certain things, it upsets you? Do you see certain injustices in the world and upsets you? That's an incredible indicator to the purpose that you have in your heart. Don't just be moved emotionally by that. Say, you know what? Somebody's got to do something about that. Maybe it's the thing that you're really, really good at. You know, uh, I have always been uh, a guy that's been able to sell ice to an Eskimo, we'll just say. Uh, I've always been a talker. I wasn't necessarily voted class clown, but I could talk you into the corner sucking your thumb. You know, mom always said I had a face for radio. And so, like, I just, I, I love that. I think that's great in so many ways. And, and so I built on that, but I really had to go back to God because some people, you're incredibly gifted in something, and you're just gifted in it, and God has something else. What's the denominator there? God, what do you have for me? What resonates deeply? What injustice have you called me to make right in this world? I believe that every single one of us, if we took a second to hear from the Holy Spirit, quieted the voices in our life, and just listened to God, there is something that you are called to do. Can I put it this way? Something you're supposed to fix in your lifetime that nobody else could do it just like you. God has that pull, that call. But what happens? We lose perspective. We lose focus. And Paul is talking to these church leaders like, guys, you got to focus. If you lose perspective, in fact, write it down. When you do it, you will lose purpose. When you lose perspective, you lose purpose. Why? Those people who have well intent about getting involved in the things of God, they still even resonate with the things of God. They hear about the things that the church are doing. They're like, yeah, yeah, that's awesome. But you fall into just agreeing with what God has called you to do and not obeying what God has called you to do. And so if it's not ever in front of you, God, this, this is the thing. This is what you've called me to do. I think about Kai and I and how we planted this church. Uh, I, I could tell you there's another man of God. I won't call his name. Wonderful person. He was the executive pastor for a large church, tens of thousands of people, 17,000 people on any given weekend. And he planted his church just about at the same time. And it got to the spot, he planted his in Frisco, Texas. And when it got to the spot that there was only 70 people coming, several months in, he couldn't do it and he closed his doors. He called me up and he said, I, I can't preach to 70 people. And at the time, I had a church of a whopping 50. <laughs> Revival was breaking out. 
He said he couldn't do it financially. He had tens of thousands of dollars in the bank. For the first several years of this church, we rolled under $10,000 in the bank at any given time. I ain't joking when I say this church is held together by duct tape and hope, okay? Like, it's a lot. But there was something in me that said, God has called me to plant a church in Grand Rapids. I gotta do it. I gotta complete this work. I prayed for so many of you in this room for years before we ever met. I just pray that God deposits that, that style of a, of a purpose, of a call, of a pull towards something greater in your heart. What did Paul say in Acts 20, 24? I consider my life worth nothing to me. In other words, like all the pleasures of life, like that's great, I don't mind any of that. But listen, it's nothing compared to this great thing that God has called me to. And you think, man, that, that actually sounds awful. Because it just sounds like I'm just going to be bored all the time and not have any fun. And you want me to be like constantly, it's a nonstop church service, you know, never ends. And, and, and that's what God's called me. To. That's not. You can enjoy things in your life. You can have interests. But it's actually talking about you being so excited, chained to, enraptured by that purpose, you can't let it go. Kai will tell you sometimes she has to tell me to go to sleep at 1 o'clock in the morning because I got my art pad out and I'm drawing what our church is going to look like when we build. Oh, it's going to be a single slope structure, steel, pre-engineered steel. It's going to be 30,000 square feet. Main sanctuary is going to need 500, 800 seats at least. I mean, we're going to have four services a weekend, but at least we're going to have everything uh, sectioned off for the kids' ministry. And how many times, hundreds of hundreds of hundreds, I've drawn this church that one day you will be ushered to the front row of. I'm enraptured by it. I'm not talking about something dingy and boring. I'm talking about the most life-giving thing that you could ever experience, purpose, a draw towards something great. You know, Paul said, I consider my life worth nothing. And you know, in the last 18 months, we've gone through a wild season, yeah? One of the things I like about it is we know where everybody stands. Kind of like that part. We just know where everybody stands. But at the same time as all of that, something that hurt my heart is I watched a lot of Christians, people that say that they're born again and, and, and following the Spirit of God, an opposite of what Paul says where he says, man, I'm, I'm chained to this, my purpose is in this, I'm enraptured by this, and I count my life worth nothing. They counted their life worth a lot. Everything became about their life and their safety and their preferences and their comfort and their way of doing and being right and their safety. You say, Pastor Joe, is any of that wrong? You know, I think that there was grace in there for us to make some, some hard choices but godly discernments. And I'm not going down hard on anybody. You still wear a mask? God bless you. That's not my, that's not my battle and not my message. But what I'm trying to say is I saw a lot of Christians just let it all go for nothing. You know, I'm not one that has ever even taught the Apostles' Creed, but everything in there we believe. And one of the things that it says is I believe in one holy Catholic church. Catholic means universal. and We do believe in the, 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 the sainthood of all those that confess Jesus as Lord. You're, you're born again, right? I believe in that church, and it says, and I believe in the gathering of the saints. Jesus died to build this church and so, gang, here's, here's what I'm trying to say is that people begin to fear so much that they gave up some of the tenets of what your faith is all about. They let so much of their decisions be just about this life and not about that next life. 
It's hard enough, isn't it? When you're not going through a pandemic, p- pandemic and, 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 and you're not going through that, it's hard enough to not make this life all about this life, isn't it? I'm bad. <laughs> it's hard because we have a propensity to be selfish, but it's so much more when you feel these high stakes. But wait a second, what are you going to do to me? I'm born again. Well, you might die. You're going to threaten me with death? Last breath here, first breath there. I'm, I'm exhilarated on fire for God. I mean, like live forever. That's the threat? I'm good. And so listen, I'm not saying don't be safe. I'm not saying don't look at facts and wisdom. Here's what I am saying. Don't put your life on this massive pedestal that lords over everything else. The fact of the matter is God reigns on high and the purpose he has for you will be the most fulfilling thing. And it's not just in situations like this that you'll be asked to make hard decisions. In fact, what I found with Jesus is he's so loving and he is right to the point. He'll ask you to give up everything. And it's so rewarding when he does. Write this down. I I don't know if you can even handle this. This might be steak. When your life means something, your calling means nothing. (laughs) There's that hard Pastor Joe we've become known for, praise the Lord, but it's really not. It's the best thing that we hear that, right? And when we elevate ourselves, and I don't know how people take themselves seriously calling themselves like an influencer on Facebook, but I'm going to just tell you, something's rotten in Denmark when that's happening, right? When we make ourselves so big and God so small, we need to pursue the Lord. Say amen, somebody. We begin to get focused on what the world says is important, on what the world is obsessed with things that really aren't that important in light of eternity. What does Paul write in uh, verse 24? He says this, my only aim, my only aim, underline that in your Bibles, only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now, the apostle Paul was a man's man, okay? A lot of the churches that we grew up in and, and the one I grew up in, we lit the women's party planning committee decorated. It was very flowery. It was very pretty, you know. I don't know why they think that every guy liked golf because we had a golf-themed bathroom. It's a golf-themed bathroom. It was all floral over there with precious moments for theirs, you know. And, and you picture the pastor. And, and listen, we're going to share heaven with a lot of these guys. Nice suit, tuck, just a sweetheart, okay? Apostle Paul wasn't a sweetheart. Apostle Paul was bad to the bone. He was tough. He was very curt sometimes when he would talk to people. And, and as he's ministering, he's trying to say, look, my only aim is to do this thing. But at the same time, we know that he's a man's man. We know that he had other interests. I told you that the Apostle Paul for years went out uh, into the desert, and he became a tent maker. He, he built tents and made money that way and sold them. But we only have one passage in all of Scripture, one, one verse, where the Apostle Paul says anything about being a tent maker. You'd think that if it was something that was a real drive for him, a love, a passion, you'd hear a ton about it. Like we would just break from the Bible for a while and have a whole chapter about it, you know, where the Apostle Paul would be saying, hey, listen, when you put the grommets in, you got to really squeeze them, you know, and in the over-under method of stitching, that's what you got to do. Some of your guys' tents, they're not good because you're not going, doing a double loop, you know, and I've been to some of your churches and I've seen your tent ministry is awful, okay? Like, like you'd think that if it was important, he'd talk about it, but we have one passage, You know what that tells me is this. You don't have to be passionate necessarily about what you do vocationally. In fact, it might not even turn you on. You can do that task passionately and ultimately have a purpose outside of there. 
That tells me that the way we maintain our perspective and, 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 and be able to pursue God in that way is we have to realize that career and calling are two different things altogether. The Apostle Paul was a man's man. He liked sports just like me. And uh, he talked about it a couple times in the Bible. He talks about fighting. He actually talks about boxing and shadow boxing. Don't be like one that fights against the air. He talks about running a race. We just read it. The Olympics existed at this time, the original Olympics, right? And, and he talks about running a race for a prize. All of this was at play. And yet, even when he talks about some of the things that he's interested in, he leverages all of that as an example to talk about Jesus, talk about the gospel, talk about building the church. Do you see it? You can have so many other interests. You know what turns me on? The Build Show on YouTube. I love it. You know, you know what gets me excited? Somebody gave me a book on Frank Lloyd Wright. There goes the weekend, everybody. Like, that's where I'm at, you know? Uh, give me a design book where we can talk about the Doric, Corinthian, and Ionic orders of columns in ancient Rome. Like, I'm in. But you have to understand, as cool as those things are, I'm not going to make the discernment between them and the purpose, the prevailing purpose that God has. Say amen, somebody. How, how do we do that? How, how do we keep towards the truth? How do we grow to be in that? John 17 says it so clearly. If you've never heard this, maybe even take a picture with your phone. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Well, sanctify, what does that mean? That's not a word we use a ton. I mean, it's not like, hey, sweetie, can you pick up the kids from soccer practice? Make sure they get good and sanctified before they come in the house. I don't want all that mess, you know. It's, it's, we don't use that. But sanctification is a spiritual term, and it literally just means to be purified. It's the journey that God has every believer on to becoming more like Jesus, dealing with old attitudes and behaviors, and that, that, that process is, is through the Bible says in this passage, truth, and his word is the truth. Question, why is the devil working overtime to uh, come against and attack truth in our country? Because if, if you don't have a truth and you're somebody who's living in a spot that you have a behavior and it's self-defeating and you're fighting against yourself and there's some sin that's eating you on the inside, if truth is relative there's no hope for change. The devil is fighting against truth in our country like he never has before, and he's undermining absolute truth. I hear it even in commercials now. Um, there is the most annoying commercial on TV ever. It's from Grubhub. Anyone else know what I'm talking about? Oh, man, those little claymation people are demons. Oh, gross me out. And so anyway, but they talk about, hey, live your truth. And it, my ears perk up. Your truth? Go live your truth. It's just like Whatever. Whatever you think, dude, I'm not going to fight with you. And the problem is, is that if somebody's living in a way that's less than what God created them to be, less than what he communicated in his word, you doom them to living that way. You doom them to living in something that is not truthful, that is relative to a moment, relative to something that could actually be very toxic for them. We have to understand that truth is eternal. We said Alpha and Omega, this God stands outside of time. He knows what truth is, and we have to give him the right to be God. You don't agree with all of it. Well, get a number in line. Anything else challenge you in the Bible? We're like, what? It's okay to be challenged in that way because you're not God. We have to trust the God of all ages. You say, well, Pastor Joe, you sound mad at the world. I'm not. Actually, I get along with sinners better than church people. Nine chances out of ten. Like, typically, they're less judgmental. 
Um, Selah. You know what I get upset about? Is that the church is, is too weak and feckless sometimes to tell somebody what the truth is and what isn't. That's what gets me upset. Is that we have this thing in the air where we don't talk about anything hard anymore. And you know, my opinion is that's what got us into this mess is the church being weak about things that are so, so valuable to building great families. But it's hard to talk about. And it might make it so you get blown up on Facebook. You know, I mean, it doesn't matter to me. I'm waiting. Come at me, Mark. You know, like, I'm, I'm ready. Zuck, take it on, you know. And, 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 and we get upset, and so we withdraw. But we have to realize this, is that God's truth is eternal. And we have to find our peace in that. And without absolute truth, we end up becoming wish-washy. So we see churches, and here's the mantra that's in the air. They're not saying it. They're not dealing with anything hard. So here's what people hear. They hear what's not being said. You can sleep with whoever you want to. You can live with people before you're married. I mean, really, when does marriage happen, you know? And, and, and how about this one? You can choose whatever gender that you'd like to be. How about this one? You can spend your money however you'd like. Well, you're way louder about the last one. Hurts me too, right? And it's in the air that, that as a Christian, choice is still a part of how we live our lives. But God has called us to this higher standard, to an eternal truth, to things that don't change with culture and time. And it doesn't mean that we're hateful bigots. It just means that truth is truth. And God has something better for you, for me. We have to be that church that, that, doesn't, that doesn't avoid hard things. When you do it, you doom people to that life of sin because you don't present the alternative. And our job, I don't know if we've ever been accused of this, Kaya, but our job is not to make anybody feel good. It's to give you that truth. Because that truth, the Bible says, will set you free. There's so much feel-goods on the other end of knowing you're in the right place, doing the right thing at the right time, that God has his hand on your life. I'm telling you, that gives you joy, not happiness. Money can buy happiness. Buy me a DeLorean, I will be happy, okay? But money can't buy joy. And there is a joy that's being right where God has called you to be. Say amen, somebody. And so why do we talk about hard things? It's because I want those people to wake up to the freedom that they'll experience living it out God's way. I mean, I don't even know if this is possible, but could you poll people that are living in sin? I don't even know. But like poll them. How is it panning out for you? I'll tell you, it's full of dysfunction. It brings pain and brokenness and problems and, and hurt. And, and listen, it will be the end of our country if we don't do something about it. So we have to deal with hard things. There's, there's all the candy of being a Christian, but we've got to go in deep. We've got to pursue things that are, that are bigger than ourselves. His word is truth, the Bible says. Now, the Greek word truth, alafia, means reality. How many of y'all in the last 18 months have just been like watching these been like, are they for real? You know, like somebody's not in touch, you know? Like I, I, I think they didn't get the memo. And, and, and so our world has fallen to that. But listen to John 17, 17, if I read it with the word reality. Your word is reality. As you are setting your purpose in this life, I, I just wonder, are you setting it on the real thing, that, that, that tangible thing that God has called you to be? Because we live in an age of disinformation. We live in an age of propaganda. 
You live in an age where the latest en vogue science that comes out or news media statement or Hollywood report or government or anybody else's little opinion coming out trying to sway you toward their persuasion. What are you going to do about it? How are you going to live? How are you going to stand? For me, there's a higher truth. And I'm going to reconcile everything in my life toward that. So I don't fear what the world fears. I don't face issues like they face issues. The Bible says no weapon formed against me shall prosper. The Bible says that he gives angels charge over us, that the threat of death is heaven on the other side. I'm going to live my life differently than this world because I've, I've accepted an, ever-change, uh, uh, an everlasting truth versus an ever-changing fact about those. Anybody else scratching their head like, how come facts change now? That's a little whiplash, right? I, what, didn't these people just have signs in their yard like, I believe in science? Well, yeah, but now it's kind of changing every 20 minutes. You know what I mean? Like, so there's got to be something on a higher order. And, and here's the true thing about a fact. A fact and the eternal truth of God's word, you shouldn't have to make the discernment in between the two. They, they'll line up. But these facts that change, you find that this world, if you look behind the curtain because you want to see the wizard, you'll find out they don't really know what they're doing. They're making it up as they go along, that there's a purpose of an enemy of your soul behind it all, and we have to see through that. So ask yourself, write this down, what does the word say? Let's set that as the highest standard, the highest truth, and other realities, they need to conform to what that says. That, that means how I raise my kids and do marriage and spend money and how we live in this world around us. It's going to be formed by the word of God. i got to move on. got pretty heavy in here all of a sudden. Y'all need to lighten up. Now, the Apostle Paul, he knows where he's going, and he knows what he's going to do. Here's what he doesn't know. He has no idea about the process that he's going to go through when he gets there, and he has no idea about the outcome. That's what it says in verse 22. This is what the Scripture says. Paul says, Now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. You know, for some of us in the room, you struggle to hear God's voice, and you, you want to know, and you want to get in the right spot. And listen, I preach messages about that. I really want to talk to the person, and I really think it's people. I think it's the majority of us. You know what your next step is. You know what God has called you to do. But you don't have the whole thing in front of you. You don't have all the facts. You don't have how you're going to end it all in front of you. And so you're saying, well, I don't want to take the first step until I know what's going to happen. I'm just using wisdom, Pastor. I'm just waiting on the Lord. And listen, I wait on the Lord when I don't know what he's called me to do. But I think so often we're waiting on the Lord to have some great move so we can experience the answer, so we can have a move and experience revival we're waiting on the Lord to move, and I think God Almighty is waiting on a move of man for us to take that first step in faith and trust him for the second, third, fourth, fifth, to trust God. That is wild. That is church in the wild. Because you won't even know how this thing's going to end, but you're trusting the God of all creation on the way. You know, number two, write it down. We need to step out in faith. That's what we need. We need to stop waiting so much on all of the, the... I've never had the amount of money that I needed when God has called me to take first steps into doing something. We never would have had a church, never would have had a building. Lord told me to sell my house, to tithe to the church, and give an offering off from it so we could buy this building. I had no idea where we were going to go, and we did it. We obeyed. 
you think, well, man, Pastor Joe, that's just the time. We end up donating the rest of that money because for six months we went through a war to keep this church open. He asked for everything in my bank account three separate times. And at the end of the third time, he says, that'll be it. You won't have to do that again. What? But it was my honor to do it. I was able to trust him. But as I'm taking a step of faith, I didn't see the end from the beginning. I'm listening to my God, and this is what he asked. My honor to do it, sir. That daycare, I thought we'd be open in three months from the time the idea popped in my noggin. Two, three years later, I brought in a girl that I knew. She was advising us a couple years ago. She said, I thought that you gave up, but then I knew it was Joe Bevilacqua. I know he doesn't give up on anything, you know. I said, you know me right. We have to be people that can step out in faith. We can't just pursue all the facts before we pursue God. That's what Scripture says in 2 Corinthians 5, 7. We walk by faith, not by sight. Now, I'm not saying be an ostrich and bury your head in the sand and avoid everything. No, I, I listen to the news. I stay informed about things. I, I, I try to get a lot of facts. If you've been around this church for any amount of time, you know Pastor Joe's a planner to the max. Show me an Excel spreadsheet. Oh, we're doing that? Awesome. I want to break even analysis. When do we start the cash flow so we can make this thing happen? Like, I'm, I'm that way. But I've never limited God to having all of that before I obeyed. We have to have that heart. Jesus needs to be trusted beyond just the details and the facts that we can see. When you only can do what you can see to do, you'll never stretch yourself into the unseen, and that's where the power of God is present. If you are, if you are able to wrap your mind around every step that you take of faith with God, why do you need a supernatural God? When you're going to see the supernatural power of God is when you believe you followed him and all of a sudden you're out on a limb and you're saying, God, if you don't come through, I'm going to be made a fool of and so will you. I've been there. What a riot. It's heart-wrenching in your flesh and your spirit is like, get it, get it, go for it. And God comes through in a way only he could do. It's amazing. But you'll never have that sensation until you put yourself out there to trust him beyond what feels good. In fact, this is good. This is good. Write this down. Faith requires you. It requires you to become comfortable with being uncomfortable. Hey, control head, I'm with you. I get it. You've got to become comfortable with letting go of control and letting God take the lead on all of this. Now, it can be tough, but our God will ask big things, tough things, but there's a reward with all of it. He might ask you to sacrifice. Here's what I've learned from Scripture. With every death in Christ, there's a glorious resurrection. He's not trying to take things from you so you can't have fun, can't enjoy your life. He wants to take those things as a seed. If it has your heart, he wants to get it out of there so your heart can be for him. Trusting him beyond what anything looks like. We walk by faith, not by sight. I think of Noah, don't you? So uh, on our sabbatical, uh, my wife, this is such a church kid thing to do, uh, we went to the Ark Encounter. Uh, it's just like the draft says, it's massive. And so we went to the Ark Encounter and went all through it, but it's actually built to the biblical standard of a cubit, and it's the Bible size that it is, and it blow your, I'm just, it, your mind's blown. It's huge. And as we were going through that, it did make me think about Noah because Scripture says this in Hebrews 11. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. Now imagine this. You're building the largest boat that's ever been built. 
you're in the middle of nowhere next to no place with water. There's no lakes around. Nobody's seen a lake. And somebody says, hey, Noah, what are you doing? I'm building an ark. For what, Noah? For when the flood comes, what's a flood? Well, for when it rains, what's rain? The world is looking at him and ridiculing him and calling him a stupid fool for building an ark in the middle of nowhere. And the Bible says that he did something that was not yet seen. He had no, God didn't let it sprinkle a little bit to be like, it'll be bigger than this, but you get the idea. You know, none of it, none of it. He trusted God and the world ridiculed him for it, made fun of him. Question, Christian, are you ready for that? To trust God, to go out on that limb and say, God, I'm with you no matter what. And the world ridicules you for it. And you say, God, I, I, I'm with you. I'll trust you no matter what. The Bible says he saved his family and ultimately humanity. And so write it down. Let's live by faith and not just facts. Facts change. They're given by people. And let's just, law of love says we got to believe the best in them. Believe that they sincerely believe some of the things they're saying, right? Okay? People are fickle. God's faithful. You follow facts, you'll be lit down. You follow God, the life of faith, the truth, the eternal truth, and you'll never be taken off. Wow. Now, again, I don't ignore them, but, but as a person of faith, that's my highest reality. You say, well, Pastor Joe, what if they do ridicule me? What if they do make fun of me? What if they do expose me for, for what I really believe? And it's embarrassing. It's it's. It's humiliating. If I'm wrong in some of the things that I do to follow God, what's the worst that's going to happen? People just say he's a nut. But if they're wrong, they face hell. And so you see how urgent this is. There's an urgency with all of this that we get this gospel message out. And, and, and the, the vessel that needs to give it is an impassioned church, not a passive church. What is that gospel? That people don't have to pay the price for their own sins. Pastor, this church believes that hell wasn't created for people. It's created for the devil. The only people that go to hell are people that want to pay for their own sins. Jesus paid for your sins. When you, when you reconcile your life with him by calling him Lord, you become born again. He makes all things new. There's an eternal life that this world all around us needs. They are so confused. They're fighting about the weirdest identity politics I've ever heard in my entire life. These people need love. They need help. They need Jesus. Not our judgment, not looking down our nose, but real love and engagement from an empowered and impassioned and purposeful church. Say amen, somebody. So we need to be focused. We need to step out in faith. And then verse 23 of Acts 20, I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. What's Paul saying? I don't know what's going to happen. The results are not my problem. It might be prison or revival, and anywhere in between, I'm good because I trust my God. And I would put it this way to you. Number three, it's, it's time that we stand up. Yeah, gang? Stand up and fight. It's time for us to take a, a stand and realize that we are the army of the Lord, the body of Christ, and not be so passive about things. I talked about the apostle Paul being a man's man. You want to talk about Jesus? Jesus was a man's man. We have this idea that Jesus was just buddy Jesus. He's a hippie freeloading off from everybody. Oh, the Bible said he had no place to hang his head in that city. He had a house in Capernaum on the beach. Like, Jesus was a man's man. He goes into church and everybody's making a, a mockery of it, making it into a den of thieves. He goes outside. I love you, Jesus, so much. 
He fashions a whip and goes in there and whips religious people out of church. That's my love language. <laughs> like, I love that. I love that Jesus. And at the same time, we know he was loving. Kids loved him. You know, kids are the best lie detector in the world. They are the bullcrap detector of all ages. If you're not real, if you're not a for real person, they will, and, and you know the amazing about my kids, they'll call you out out loud. Oh my gosh. And, and, and the Bible says that Jesus literally had to instruct his disciples, forbid not the little ones to come unto me. What, what is he saying? The kids wanted to be all around. He says, stop, get out of their way. I like to hang out with them rather than you. Come on. Kids like people that are for real. And number two, kids like people that are fun and funny. Jesus was full of joy and hope and love. All of that's true, but he had mercy and truth. He was both. He wasn't forced by the news media or the religious people of his time to make the discernment in between the two. He could both be very tough on things and very loving at the same time. We need to be a church that is willing to stand up and fight to get this gospel out, taking our stand in this world and in our relationships and in culture and for our country. What does that look like, Pastor Joe? So glad you asked. You all set me up so well for these things. Ephesians chapter 6. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes, and he is a schemer. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Pause. Everybody look at me. It's not against that annoying person at work. It's not against your mother-in-law. It's not against the assessor at the township that thinks you live in a mansion. You know, it's, it's not, it's not that, that agitator in your life. It's not flesh and blood that you're actually fighting against. Don't miss this. It's against rulers, authorities, powers in this dark world, spiritual forces of evil in the sky, heavenly realms. It's the enemy of your soul. We're fighting against the deception that he's bringing into this age. We're fighting against this chaos that he's having break out in our city streets. That's what we're fighting against. Your problem isn't those people. Your problem is fighting against spiritual things. Now, don't leave this place thinking that you're not engaged in a fight. You are. And if you don't feel like you are in a fight, I'm going to tell you something. You're losing that fight. The devil wants to stop the empowered Christian. The devil wants to stop that believer that's excited about purpose. The devil wants to stop you at all costs, and all hell is fighting against you achieving that great thing. The spiritual battle that's, that's raging, the devil is fighting against our country again at a rate we've never seen before to, to, to erode our morals and decay our values and to destroy our country. We, as the body of Christ, we need to be the ones that rise up and say no to all of that. Because we were founded on Christian values by Christian people, and we need to be the church that says no to all of the junk because the devil's trying to dismantle what we've worked so hard to build and what God has blessed. So wake up to what's happening. It continues on, verse 13. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you might be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm, therefore. This is the put your big boy pants on scripture in the Bible. God Almighty is saying, you stand firm. Culture changes. You stand on the word of God. They might ridicule. You stand. I've done everything I can. Good. Awesome. You did? Keep standing. 
And I'm telling you, when you get to that spot, the power of God is on your life. He gives you an ability to fight battles you never thought. You might be the most humble and sweet and mild-mannered person in this church, just a little sweetheart, you know. I'm telling you, you are a bulldog in the spirit when you trust God in that way. That's who you are called to be. Listen to me. There's nothing to fear. The truth always comes out. That God is true and every man is a liar. And the church of Jesus Christ can never be stopped. He said that the gates of hell would try to come against us, but they would never prevail in this world. And so we win. And so we trust more and we win. It doesn't matter what media or the government, it doesn't matter what Facebook says, we trust God. Write this down, huge, huge, huge. If you're not experiencing resistance, however, you might not be taking ground. And so, we are more than overcomers. The question is this. I think it is less people that are struggling with, God, what are you calling me to do? That happens. We're here to help. It's more a bunch of people that know what to do, and they're sitting on the sidelines. God's called you to this great thing, and the enemy of your soul, he won't come against you so strong so long as he can get you to sit down and shut up. I think that we have a greater call than that. Now is the time. Now is the time for us to rise up as the body of Christ. There is a Jerusalem, can we put it that way, a specific place that God has for you. There is a specific people. There, there's a pull. And when you begin to say yes to God, I'm telling you, it changes family histories, changes family trees. It can change an entire city. If we could get a church on fire here at New Chapel. See, Grand Rapids doesn't always reconcile with no God, find freedom, discover purpose, make a difference, right? It's like get saved, act right, die. You know, those are, the, those are sometimes the three steps. If I can get you ignited, you think it takes a ton of people. God never has needed a majority. In fact, when he started this whole thing off as 120 folks in an upper room, I think they're just eating bread. You know, like, uh, we can do this. God has a call on your life. And so when you begin to say yes, like, God, yes, I will go to small group. I'll lead a small group. Yes, I'll, I'll minister to that person that is really opposite of what I believe about things, but I can befriend them in the Lord and begin to make an influence. Yes, God, I'll share my faith. Yes, God, I'll do my best. I can't avoid public school, but you know what? I'm going to raise my kids in a godly way despite them having to do that and believe God that there'll be a light to this world. God, I'll fight for my marriage. I'll fight. I'll fight for it. Some of y'all are with somebody and they're an unbeliever and you're married. I'm not talking about dating, but this person is a disproportionate uh, uh, in faith, and you're married to them, the Bible says that you can win over an unbeliever by loving them as long as they're content to live with you. Don't divorce them right away to find a godly man. And so listen, when you say, yes, God, I will work on this marriage, he will come through for you. When you say, yes, God, I I'll do what you've called me to do, no matter the price I'm in, I don't care if I'm outside of my comfort zone, that's where you see supernatural answers come through for you in your life. So my prayer is that you'd leave here today and say, I'm engaged, I'm in the game, I'm doing something about this. I pray that you'd leave and say, I'm focused about this. And I've got definite purpose. And the God, I'm in the fight. I'm not going to let my country go down. I'm not going to let my school system go down. I've got to do something in the midst of all of it. Because listen to me, victory is coming. Remember what we read in Judges? victory is coming to you personally and to the body of Christ. And what we have to do is be those people that rise up with this answer. You know, 
the fear comes to a lot of people that they, they want to convince us that we're bigots. And the truth is, truth is a very welcome thing to somebody that's going through the experience of the ramifications of sin. They welcome it into their lives. So don't shrink back as we're becoming this wild church. Let's settle our hearts and proclaim truth because it's in this truth where we meet Jesus, where we find that balance of mercy and truth, where we find hope for our souls. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for this church. God, we had a little bit more of a preaching message than we normally have, but we need this fire. God, people, in the sound of my voice, are being awakened to your truth, that are being awakened to your love for people outside of these four walls, and that, God, you're stirring within them. God, I pray that you're, you're convicting people of things that they got to make right, but also you're showing them faces of people that they need to reach out to. God, I pray that as you're working in people's hearts that you'd, you'd let that purpose bubble back to the surface. Some people have put it on the shelf, God. It's time to take it off, dust it off, and get going with what you've called them to do. The gifts and callings of God, Christian, are without repentance. So, Lord, I thank you that you're ministering the hearts of your people. Lord, if there's anybody in the sound of my voice that doesn't know you, help me to find them. In Jesus' name. Heads bowed, eyes closed if you would. If you want to make peace with God, it's actually already been done for you. Jesus broke it peace. The Bible says when you call him Lord, you'll be saved. Saved from what? Saved from hell. From eternity without God. And that what he does is he deposits that, that purpose and, and that freedom into your heart for you to mine out. That you have a heaven to gain, eternity, life forever. And the only way to do it is, is to give up being control of your own life. Say, God, my life isn't so important, but that eternal life is. I give my life, my decisions, my hopes, my dreams, my plans to you, and I forego the planning in my life. I trust you. If that's where you're at, we're going to pray in a second. And if you pray with us, the Bible says you'll be saved. If you say this like it's magic words, listen to me, friend. I love you, but it's just fantasia. If you say it sincerely, if you mean it in your heart, the Bible says you'll be saved. So church, I want to pray this all together, all of us out loud in support of those that are praying it for the first time. Pray this with me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross in my place for my sins so I can be forgiven. You raised him from the dead. This I believe. So with my heart, and with these words, I confess. Jesus Christ is my Lord. I surrender now. Jesus, I call on you. Come into my life. Forgive my sins. Put your spirit within me. I receive all of what you have for me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for making all things new. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. Let's give it up for those people that accepted Christ. Louder than that. Come on, somebody. <laughs> now listen, if you accepted Christ in here, the reason why we're going bananas is because we prayed that prayer and we know what it did in our life. Hey, let somebody know today. I'm not going to make you come down to the front or anything like that. You're welcome to. I'd love to pray with you, but we would like to know about the decision you made. Here's why. 
I want to send you a note talking about next steps to take in your faith, about who God has made you to be. You need to get baptized and plugged into a local church. doesn't have to be this one. We're kind of partial, but like God has big things, and the least of which is to let us know about it so we can give you all the facts. If you came with somebody today, maybe you let them know about it. They can help you through that process. But I got to tell you, we're proud of you. You made the best decision of your life. Church, one more time. Let's give it up for those people. Proud of you. Stand up on your feet, gang. Hey, did y'all get anything out of this message? Is it all right if Pastor Joe preaches once in a while? Is that all right? And listen, I promise you next week I'm going to have some more fun stories and some more relational things. We'll, we'll have a better time. But I just feel like we need that fire in our hearts right now. We need to leave this place with some definite purpose and carry that through all of the month. However short, furry, and funny your pastor is. Amen. Okay, so if you have a need in your spirit, soul, or body, don't leave this place without getting prayed for. We'll have people down here at the front. If you don't want to talk to anybody or pray with anybody, touching their grubby little paws, you can fill it out on our connection cards. Don't forget, by the way, after... After this service, we're having New Chapel Connect. And so I'm going to be here uh, hanging out with all of those people from last week and answering questions and then engaging in that class with all of us. And uh, next week, we're praying for teachers. And the week after that, we're having baptisms. Babe, why don't you come up here real quick? Y'all give it up for my beautiful wife. Before I pray for you guys, I want to deliver some news. You know, when Kai and I were dreaming about planting a church, we fought about planting uh, in Grand Rapids. And part of the reason is because of the incredible respect that we have for Ada Bible and Pastor Jeff Mannion there and at Resurrection Life Church with Pastor Dwayne Vanderklok. Uh, I got word today that Ken Reynolds passed away, who is a real hero in Grand Rapids. And um, it was somewhat expected. He was dealing with an illness, but they lost their worship leader here. And I would just like it if all of us uh, today thought of ourselves as res lifers. They're going through it. And we need to pray for them. I get it. Jesus chooses your church. You're here for that. But in our hearts, we need to be praying for that church because they're going through a rapid transition. He was a good man of God. And he'll be well remembered in this city. Listen, we need a strong Ada Bible. We need a strong res life and uh, First Assembly and these different things, all of us working together. Amen, somebody? So be praying for Pastor Dwayne and the family. Uh, of course, Ken Reynolds' family, we're praying for you, and we're behind you. We're all Res Lifers this week. Uh, maybe lift a hand or two up to heaven. Let's pray. Let's get on to the rest of our week with what God has. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine on you. Be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. As you go... Love you guys. We hope that you were encouraged and brought closer to God during this message. You can listen to any of our past messages and series either on this podcast or on newchapel.com slash watch. And be sure to connect with us on Facebook or Instagram to stay up to date on everything happening here at New Chapel.